Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nika Spaulding and we are pressing on in the book of Amos today. We are going to be in the middle of chapter 5. And so Amos chapter 5 verses 10 through 17. Amos chapter 5 verses 10 through 17. And so let's just jump right in. This is the word of the Lord. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, Because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate... Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares that shall be wailing, and in the streets they shall say, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation, and in all the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Have y'all ever thought about, like, what's your all-time favorite song? I'm sure some of y'all are a little bit more sanctified than me, so you're going to be like, his eyes on the sparrow or blessed be the name. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just going to be real with y'all. I really like Bringing Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake, and I, re- and I will receive full judgment here because the more I've listened to the lyrics, the more I'm like, that that song is wildly inappropriate. Uh, and so hear me, I am slowly trying to weed that out of when the, when the tune drops that I don't immediately look for the nearest dance floor, but I still do. Okay. Truth be told. And I think part of the reason why I do is because I am not musically inclined. My friends will tell you I'm tone deaf. I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm not exaggerating. You know, like some people are like, oh, I can't really sing. And then they like, put their hand into the air and they're like, oh, and hit some high ridiculous note. Like, there's no false modesty here. I am not a humble person when it comes to this. I'm an honest person. I can't sing a lick. I'm not musically inclined at all. I don't play instruments. I don't whatever. So it's really helpful that Justin Timberlake just kind of gives you the path to singing that song well. Like, literally tell you where they're going. Take them to the bridge, right? So we've talked about this before. This is a little bit... (laughs) Like, some of you, after I just read that passage... We're probably like, I feel like I've heard this before. And this would be the part at which Justin Timberlake, if he were writing the book of Amos, would be like, you know, let's take him to the bridge. Or let's take him to the course. Because this this middle part of chapter 5 is, is going to sound like other melodies we've heard through this. Uh, I want to remind you guys, the or, or remind, bring it up for the first time. However, if you're hearing this for the first time, the book of Prophets, they're not... They're not always given by a prophet sitting down and just writing out nine chapters. 
Um, in fact, I mean, we do have some record of that happening. Sometimes they did write it on a scroll and they passed it down. Other times, this is really an anthology of their best messages that they've given. So rather than thinking about Amos, a farmer from Tekoa, marching up up to the Northern Territory and sitting down and being like, I've written some things for you, and he opens up a scroll and he reads all nine chapters, more likely what he's doing is multiple visits from Amos have occurred and the same themes are continuously being brought forward. And so whether it was Amos or the community that preserves these words, what's happening is the book of Amos are sort of like Amos's best hits that have been arranged in a way that makes sense to us if this is what God consistently through Amos the prophet said to Israel. So it makes sense that we would get to this point and you're like, it feels like this sounds like earlier in chapter such and such. And you would be right to say that. We are seeing some reoccurring themes. He is continuing to drive this point home. Next next session that we're going to talk about, we're actually going to switch gears and, and move into woes in a specific section. And so this is actually ending sort of these accusation language against Israel section. And then we're going to get even more intense next week with the woes. But yes, you should rightly be telling yourself, I'm hearing these themes of stop trampling the poor. Stop fattening yourself up off of that stuff. Stop forsaking justice. And if you are catching that, then kudos to you. You are becoming a full-blown literary biblical scholar of the book of Amos. And so right on for that. So I just want to point out a couple of things that are really interesting in this passage that um, as we're seeing these themes come back again at us, I want to point something out. In the last, in the earlier in chapter five, in yesterday's message, what you saw was two times you heard, seek God and live, seek God and live. And, and we saw that in verse five and then, or excuse me, in verse four and then in verse six, seek me and live and then seek the Lord and live. Well, in this section, what's interesting is running parallel to those passages is this phrase, seek good and not evil that you may live. That's intentional. In the same way that that Amos is saying, hey, in order for you to prevent this calamity coming upon you because of your sin, you need to seek the Lord so that you may live. What does seeking the Lord look like? Amos gives us an answer to that. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. Okay, what does that mean? It means you seek good and not evil. It's really interesting. What Amos is doing is he's tying together love of the Lord is inex- like you cannot separate that from love of neighbor. That That's what we're getting out of this passage, that the love of God is so inextricably tied to the love of God's people that for you to say, I love God, but... I don't think there's anything wrong with fattening myself off of the poor or the unrighteous or whatever. God would say, that that ain't it. That's not what it means to love me. And we see this in, in, in Jesus' ministry as well. We see him talking about, if you love me, you'll love each other. You know how the world will know that you love me? It's by the way you'll love each other. And so it's a good litmus test for people to say, what does it mean to love God? And I think there's a... a I think there's a vertical relationship there that is essential, that worship and prayer and study and all of like the spiritual disciplines I think are necessary and good 
to maintain a healthy, loving relationship with the Lord. But if somebody were to try and tell you verticality is the only thing that communicates the love of God, then I would venture to guess that in your prayer and in your study, you are choosing passages that you enjoy. Because if you're reading the Bible well, you don't get very far without it telling you to love your brother. Right. I mean, when Cain comes to Abel and he's murdered Abel and God's like, where's your brother? And he's like, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Yes, you are your brother. We are all each other's keepers. And so if you are in that vertical relationship with the Lord, it is going to be an easy connection to see that the horizontal love of all of God's creation follows. That is what it means to seek good and not evil. And so I just want to point that out is when you um, are trying to teach yourself what does it mean to love God, there is a component of that that is fulfilled and answered in your love of neighbor. And so get after it. Love your neighbor. Invite them over for the picnic, things like that. Uh, and then I, I want to point out there was a very specific phrase I think is important uh, where he says, he talks about the remnant of Joseph. Joseph being, of course, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Joseph being his son that's got the Technicolor dream coat. You guys know all about that guy. And uh, and he had his own Broadway show. I don't know if you, you knew. And so, no, but really, so Joseph gets sold into slavery. He rises to power. So Joseph here is a, he's a, he's a fill-in word. He's a, he is the name, the singular name of Joseph is representing, in this case, the nation of Israel. And, and it means the remnant of this nation. So what is, what is the remnant? That's the question. Um, I don't know if y'all remember, if you're an 80s baby, I saw I was born in 85, and I don't know how be, how much before me or how much after me this fad was there, but I for sure bought in wholeheartedly. My mom used to work for a Scholastic, so I like owned every one of them. Do y'all remember Where's Waldo? Because I thought that was the money. So much so, y'all, I went as Waldo for Halloween one year. So that's what's up. If you can't hit that level of fandom, don't don't talk to me about Waldo. I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, so where's Waldo? That's a little bit of the game you can play in the Bible called Where's the Remnant? So what is the remnant? The remnant are people of God that God preserves through times of calamity. And even in times of rebellion for the nation, he preserves them so that his promises can continue to move forward and so that those who are righteous can turn to God and know that they can anticipate restoration. So I'll give you an example. If you're wanting to play Where's the Remnant, Where's Waldo through Scripture, you're going to see Noah is a remnant. So you see in the book of Genesis, evil continues to mount. God is sad that he made humanity, which we have to wrestle with what that even means in Genesis 6. And rather than wiping out everyone, we see Noah. And we see Noah and his family, and they're in a boat. That becomes a remnant. In the same way that we see uh, throughout Scripture, you're going to see this idea of God maintains through exile, through calamity, through chaos. He maintains his steady, everlasting faithfulness to a group of his people through all times because he's faithful. And what this means is I, I think so many times we in the West, and what I mean by that is like, you know, Europeans, Americans, we tend to read scripture from an individualistic lens because that's how we were taught to read it. We think very much individualistically. The Bible was written during and given to a people who thought more communally. So there's, and and what I would tell y'all is in the Trinity, you see both individuality and unity. And what I mean by that, you see, so distinction, 
unity, equality in Scripture. Distinction. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, and so on and so forth. Equality. They are all fully God. But then there's unity. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And so that's what, as the fancy phrase you can use for this, is the equal ultimacy of the one in many. The equal ultimacy of the one in many. And so many times in our culture, we tend to have a pendulum swing too far to the community side and you lose your personal identity and everything you do is a reflection upon your community. And so you don't know who you are. And then the other side of that Western pendulum where where most of us, if you're listening to this, have grown up is the individual's everything. So you don't think about how your decisions affect the community. It's what you want. We see that, right? Like the, the movie Titanic is such a perfect example of that. Rose, this story of Rose choosing to abandon societal norms, to follow her heart and go after Leonardo DiCaprio and um, in, in that scenario, rather than the known societal Billy D- demon guy. I don't remember what his name was in the movie, but anyways, handsome, rich jerk. Uh, and so that to an American is like, that's money in the bank, right? Is the reason why, not just Celine Dion's soundtrack. There's a reason why we loved that movie is because we're all, we resonate with that. You take that movie and you move it into this ancient context, and I guarantee you some biblical men and women will be like, that is a selfish young woman. Now, in the Trinity, we see the equal ultimacy of the one and many. Jesus is uniquely special as well as divinely united. Same for the Spirit, same for the Father and all of that. And so what's my point in all of this is when you read Scripture, we tend to come at it from such an individualistic standpoint that seeing this, like if you're reading it in just your lens and you're like, but what about the few that are trying to do right? And the whole nation, I get the leaders and the rich and everybody's rebelling, but what about Sally Duguid, who's down the road and she's trying her best. She's not oppressing the poor. She's not going around selling the weak for all of that. Well, one, I'd say, Sally, make sure you're not participating in ways that you don't understand because sometimes you are. But two, if that person really does exist, this this little verse, this little quick bloop in Amos about the remnant is what gives us great hope to know that our Father, that the God of the universe sees us both communally and individually, that he is making a way for those who remain faithful to anticipate a restoration. They are going to cling to God and trust that he always deals justly with his people. So lest you go around thinking this feels unjust for the individual, you've got to remember God knows his people. He maintains his remnants. And he also sees us both in our communal context because we do belong to families and nations and we we participate in that fabric, but also as individuals. And so I think it's important that we can see this little passage as the remnant as good news and know that if we would have been living during this time, And if we really wanted to remain faithful to God, we could anticipate a restoration. And that's good news. And so play Where's Waldo, flip through your Bible, look for the remnant. It's a really fun game. Uh, Unfortunately, they don't wear striped shirts and, and glasses, so you have to look a little harder. But it's still a fun game. And the last thing I would just say is I want to point out is you see this uh, really poetic thing. You built houses of hewn stone or cut stone, these really nice houses, and you're not going to live in them. You planted vineyards, and you're not going to drink from them. God is communicating to them. You will not uh, enjoy the profits of what you gained through injustice. Or in other words, you won't enjoy the wealth that you wrongly uh, 
collected, amassed. So you decided to fill your storehouses on the necks of poor people and, and trampled people. And he's like, you, you're not going to live in that house. You're not going to drink that wine, which is a just thing to do. But I want to I wanna put ourselves in people's shoes real quick because this is going to be my big so what for today. I, I think we read these passages and we think, oh my goodness, that's so atrocious. It's hard to imagine that I would do these things. I think, I think depending on where you're at in your spiritual walk, depending on where you come from, it, I don't know that people inherently come to Amos and put themselves in the shoes of the Israelites. I don't know that. Some of us think we're Amos. We flatter ourselves with that. Some of us, some of us are the oppressed, and we very, very quickly know where we're at in the story. And some of us don't know where we're at in the story, but we don't want to be the Israelites. And here's what I'd say. So many times, I don't think people realize that oppression is tied to economics. So I think sometimes we think oppression is this external thing that people just delight in harming others. Now, there are people like that, no doubt. But often, oppression is tied to economics. You can look at the slave trade in America. You can look at unethical, you know, sweatshops throughout history. You can look at slavery that continues to persist around the world today. If it were not profitable, it would not exist in the droves that it does. Now, are there certainly evil people who would seek to oppress others for their own personal satisfaction? Absolutely. They're in the minority, though. In the majority of those who participate in oppressive systems, it's because they stand to gain something. They stand to profit something, whether it's power, but a lot of times it's just straight up manna. It's just straight up moolah. It's just, it's money. And so here's what I'd say. God warns about the love of money a lot in scripture. And so I don't think all of us would necessarily put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites here, but I think we need, this is my so what, it's for us to check our hearts, is where... And, I, and again, there, there's an extremeness to this, and then there's a subtleness. And so I'm asking you, where are you either unknowingly or knowingly participating in systems of injustice because it saves you a few bucks or because you're able to profit from that? Because the reality is, is I actually, the more I study this book, the more I find myself seeing how easy it would be to be like the Israelites. Because at the end of the day, we tend to have a mindset that we think there's a scarcity in this world. And if there's only so much getting to get, then I better get mine. And instead, what God says is there's abundance in his kingdom. And we're meant to share it and give away because God continues to supply. We see this in the miracles of the feeding. We see this in the miracles of the wine. We see the abundance in God's kingdom over and over again in the ministry of Jesus. And so here's just my challenge to you today is rather than completely dismissing the warning of the Israelites because you think it might be hard to imagine you would participate in widespread oppression of people, I would ask yourself, how much does the pursuit of wealth, fame, and power tempt you or cause you to step on those around you? And maybe not in a drastic way, but... I mean, would you cut Sally off if you could in order to get ahead in your job? Would you demean another person so you get the promotion? Would you uh, withhold resources from people out of fear that those resources are going to dry up? These are all the questions that I think we've got to ask ourselves today because it's the economics that often drives oppression, and we need to be careful about our love of money 
and what it might even be doing to us today. All right, friends, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do, but way more importantly, the God who has an abundant, abundant kingdom is crazy about you. Peace.